0: Welcome to the American Party Podcast. Today we have Stephen Blackwood. Stephen Blackwood sounds like um, something from Game of Thrones. You know what I mean? Blackwood. That's a good name. It's an old name. I feel like uh, we're getting more and more ridiculous as a culture in the West. Maybe we should look back to some of these things that uh, gave us purpose in the past. Uh, you're the. Well, we're here to talk about Ralston College, but we'll, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. So, uh, Give our audience a little uh, bio on you, and uh, then we'll move forward.
1: You betcha. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Appreciate having me on, sir. Uh, Okay, what can I say? I'm sort of a country boy from Eastern Canada. Grew up the oldest of 10 children uh, on a small uh, hobby farm in Prince Edward Island, Canada. Discovered philosophy and the classics uh, at college. I uh, had a you know had a bit of a journey as we all do uh, doing various things in various ways uh, lived and work in Europe uh, worked with inner city uh kids for a while who were, had very limited opportunities open to them uh stumbled into uh taught at college for a while stumbled into a to a PhD program in philosophy and religion uh, uh, in Atlanta uh, at Emory and uh on the other side of that uh, my colleagues and now colleagues and I had uh, come to a Sense of the growing, let's say, dysfunctions in higher education, and want to do something about it, and that that something turned out to be this project, Ralston College, a new educational institution mm-hmm. in Savannah, Georgia, which seeks to be both a a reinvention and a revival of the university uh, on the one hand with degree programs here in Savannah, but on the other hand to be a kind of te- extraterritorial disruptive, uh, direct-to-consumer uh, democratization of education, uh, something for anyone, anywhere who wishes to learn. So maybe by way of introduction, that's a, that's a decent start.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting you say uh, direct-to-consumer education because there's a big movement uh school choice going on at the primary level in America right now. I don't know if that's the same uh, in other countries in the West, but uh, Corey DeAngelis and a number of other people are working on these, these bills from state to state to, um, I guess, provide parents with an option. I, the, the general premise is that the money that gets spent on a child's education follows the child no matter where they go, right? And it's uh, essentially a democratization of education. Uh, is that something that you, you've looked into or are involved in at all?
1: Well, broadly speaking, uh, well, there's a number of things I'll say there just quickly. The first is that I think that's that's absolutely the right model for primary mm. secondary education. I mean, who better to oversee the the selection of 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 where a child should be educated than his or her parents? So. Mm. Uh, I just don't see a better way to provide any kind of sensible model, to provide competition, to, to disrupt uh, stakeholders who perhaps are, are, are lazy or or too one-size-fits-all. I just don't see any way at all of, of reasserting some kind of – to I don't see any way that you can work for a higher level of quality other than have parents as significant decision-makers uh, in where their children themselves go. So, and by the way, I, I reject the idea that somehow parents should not be entrusted with that. You know, statistically, in the main, I mean, of course, there are bad parents out there, but mm. in the main, there is absolutely no one who is going to be more an advocate for a child than his or her parent. So, I mean, that's just got to be at the bedrock of the whole damn system, so far as I can see. Uh, and I think there is a huge amount of very impressive and promising disruption at the K to twelve level in the United States. Uh, I'd also say that it's very interesting to to note that that has not been the case in uh, post secondary education that the the colleges and universities have not been places of significant uh, disruption uh, at the level of improved offerings for more and varied numbers of people uh, uh, in recent times, and so that's 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 a problem we're looking to do something about. And it's interesting to ask why is it why is it so much easier to do something really meaningful at K to twelve education than it is in post secondary education? And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that to start a school, in a way, all you need is a couple of dozen parents. In a specific place, a town or city, a county who really want to do something about it, who have a shared vision, they can get together, they can, you know, rent a a church basement or something, hire a couple of teachers, and they are off, but it's much more complicated at the the, uh, post-secondary level. That said, the disruption we're seeing in uh whether it's classical schools or christian schools or faith based schools or uh trade based schools or whatever they are, I think in k to twelve is a is a huge reason for optimism and uh, we should do all we can to support it
0: sure i mean i one of, one of the rhetorical questions that D'Angelo likes to ask about this is um pe- people will say you shouldn't defund public education and his response uh, in the form of a rhetorical question is why would giving parents the choice defund public education the obvious answer to that is that public education is failing right um and it's 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 interesting to have that conversation people <clears throat> uh, i don't know if it's it's uh fear or ignorance or cowardice or laziness or whatever but it's like change is very difficult for folks and they want somebody else to solve these issues for them instead of you know taking matters into their own hands and solving them for themselves. Um, now, that's something that you've done. The The common refrain from uh, uh, moderates, cent- center-right people, libertarians, is that uh, secondary and post-secondary education is hopelessly broken, that uh, they are just woke factories and blah, blah, blah. Now, th- there's a lot of truth to that. There, it might be entirely true, but... What What is our long-term plan to solve that issue? Is it, it's, is it to say we're not going to do secondary and post-secondary education anymore? So what does that mean? We lose our physicists and our uh, psychiatrists, people that have been extremely important uh, uh, to society over time? Like we're, we're, it, it seems obvious to me that the real solution to that is to generate programs for these people that aren't based in this uh, post-modernist nonsense, right? Uh, and that's, that's essentially what you're doing. Ralston College is about to have its first class of uh, uh, a master's program in the humanities, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Um, so we go back for just one quick second what I said about public education because I think we have to draw a distinction between defunding and redirecting. Mm-hmm. You know, one can, as I do, one can be a, a strong supporter of, of the public good of an educated populace and of the possibility at least that public money can be spent to educate at least those who don't have money to do to do it otherwise mm. uh, but how that money is spent and who gets to decide you know where they send their children is a totally different question so you can be fully in favor of 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 public education for everyone while also saying we need to radically disrupt how that money is spent um uh, uh, as to your question about higher education i mean like the simple fact of the matter is you can't have a culture at all without mechanisms of transmission of that culture. Mm-hmm. I mean uh, as I said recently to someone you 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 know baby bears don't survive without mothers teaching them how to be baby bears. Right. And when you're talking about human life and culture at uh, it's a it's a enormously complex system. And if you want to have the the basic let's call them bedrock principles of human flourishing, which I would understand uh, among others to be, you know, freedom of, of thought and speech, mm. freedom of association, freedom of, of, uh, uh, of freedom of, to, of exchange and so on. You know, th- those don't just exist without protection and understanding as to why they matter. They're not universally flourishing in every country in all times and places. and, so you have to have a, the means and mechanisms by which you transmit what one generation understands or thinks it understands right. to the next generation. And fundamentally, I think that in the West, we're, we have largely lost or destroyed those mechanisms of, of transmission. And none of this is coercive. None of this is telling young people what they have to do or say or believe. Mm. It's more like saying, um, we we found these amazing berry patches through hundreds of years. And these are incredible places to get fresh water. And we found that if you do things in these ways, these things happen. And so what that trans that active transmission about, I love the way that the late philosopher uh, Roger Scruton put this, that culture was really just things that other people have loved and transmitting Mm. a culture is sharing the things you love so that others can love them too. They may do things differently. They can reinvent. They can be radically disruptive. They can, they can go back to a further past or dismiss it or whatever. But the notion that somehow you wouldn't teach people their times tables or you wouldn't teach them how to read and write, you wouldn't mm. teach them how to cherish the things that are holding the goddamn house up.
0: Yeah. Is, uh, that, I think,
1: frankly, insane.
0: That, that is insane. I mean, in the West, we, we seem to con- continue to forget um, – why we solved a lot of existential problems that exist just for, you know, existence, being alive, why the solutions were important and it, we, we continue to unsolve problems, right? I mean, th- that makes very little sense to me. I, wh- why do you think that is? Is it, is it, uh, is there a diminishing return on comfort or, uh, like to your point about reading and writing, could we become so comfortable that we would stop teaching our kids math reading right i mean is that that's that seems like it's impossible but we we routinely un, unlearn from our uh, uh uh from this uh generational transmission of information as you refer to it um we routine, routinely unlearn very simple things that have been commonly held beliefs for a long time now i'm not opposed to uh, Challenging the establishment, I think that's a really important part of this. It's an important part of that transmission of information is to refilter it through uh, the current lens, not just for accuracy now, but accuracy in its own time. And if it made sense then, because that, that gives you a different uh, a way to judge things. But man, <laughs> you, if an engineer doesn't spend a lot of their time trying to reinvent basic mechanics of movement, you know what I mean?
1: yeah i think I think you're making a very you're asking a very good question and well let me say a couple of things about this First, I think we need to we need to sometimes take a step back um It's easy to get kind of hot under the collar you know culture wars, you know what are these idiots thinking? Um, and, you know, sometimes there's a place for that. Uh, you know, when you see people actually tearing down good or beautiful things, right. I mean, that should be stopped. That should be stopped. Uh, nothing without deliberation, I would say. You know, let's, let's, let's just stop and think about it. Let's actually really think about it. And if, and if your position won't s- withstand serious reflection, well, you know, you're not ready to make these decisions. That's that's what it comes down to. You cannot be entrusted to make this decision because you're not prepared to think about it. Right. And no matter how strongly you feel about this, you know you're going to have to persuade other thinking creatures that this is a good idea. Mm. And by the way, that's what an affirmation of their dignity as different from you demands. Now, the second thing I would say is that, you know, Whenever you see a, a lot of people strongly taking a position no matter how wrong you think it is you should damn well think about that why are they why are these young people finding this position so attractive mm. and i suppose what i really think is that our the sources of meaning the forms of life and culture that Enable human beings actually to make sense of their lives. To, you know, there is no, let me put it this way there is nothing, there is no measure, there is no metric, there is nothing according to which human beings can be judged that matters more than that the human beings living in it right now or at any time are able to discover their own lives and live them as meaningful. And if and if if you're not able to do that, and if you know human beings are not doing that in culture, well, then it's failing from the most basic metric of human evolution. I mean, it is it is showing itself to be a culture that is unfit to our evolved nature. I mean, we are self-conscious creatures whose whose own understanding of themselves is fundamental to their nature. That's what a human being is. You can't write that out of evolution. That is what we are. And if and if and if a culture is not enabling us to understand our ways in a way that we think is adequate to the demand of our own nature then it is a failure. And so the reason I want to put that out there in a kind of preface way is because what we're facing, and the shorthand is the meaning crisis, what we're facing is tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people worldwide finding themselves without the ability to do that, to, to understand their lives as sufficiently meaningful by their own judgment, not by someone else's, but by their own. and. I think that represents a very serious failure. And I do think many of the things we see that are disturbing or problematic from the point of view of activism or certain rampant ideology, or, you know, we, you know there's all kinds of ways of describing mm. this, are themselves not causes, but symptoms of a problem. I mean, when you have people, you know, invading your granaries, Because they're hungry, you know, yes, you should assert property rights. right? But you might want to ask about why they're hungry in the first place. And I think there's a very insufficient acknowledgement that what's driving a lot of the, for the shorthand, you know, woke or activist postmodernism or however one wants to put it. There's a very insufficient reflection, particularly on the right, about why people think those positions hold meaning for them. Mm-hmm. And indeed, the fact that they think they do means that at some level they do.
0: Certainly, yeah. I mean, it, that that's p- people, someone who is willing to uh, shape their entire life around something is a pretty good indicator that they take it seriously, right? I mean, uh, that's, that's obvious. I think two or three generations ago, uh, the average person's life trajectory would have been to, you know, finish whatever education you're doing, get a job, have kids, get married, have kids, raise them, uh, work, contribute to society, and then retire, right? That's your basic life trajectory. And intrinsic to that trajectory is a sense of purpose, right? Every one of those elements involves something outside of yourself. Um, I feel like my generation and younger is primarily focused on what they can get out of the comforts of society. Like, how can I benefit from the comforts of society, um, well, that's a good question to ask because we should be doing that, certainly. I mean, the, the reason for all this sacrifice is that comfort. That was the point. And, and I think uh, uh, as somebody who's fought in war before, I, I feel like that's, like, it, it, it pains me to see people not take advantage of the opportunities provided them. Uh, I think you should live a, worth, live a life that's worth dying for, but it is absent the, the very... Uh, the, it, it, the very obvious fact that that comfort is only one generation away from evaporating um, and th- there's, a, there's a give and take that needs to happen and you know uh, uh, it, it's to me it's a math problem like there's going to be people who can't give they can't because of infirmary because of some reason or another whatever circumstance whatever it is um, and then that person not only isn't giving, but they're also taking. So we're, we're talking about, I, I had a kind of a loose conversation with a friend of mine the other day about this. And they were like, uh, you know, does it always have to be a situation where I'm giving more than I'm taking? And like, well, if you think about it, just from what I just said about the the imbalance, like, yeah, it kind of does. Like you should, you should really if you're able to even have this conversation, if you're a position in life or uh, whatever social <coughs> uh, class you're in allows you to even have this conversation, I do think it's imperative for you to give as much as you can, right? And, and to have the... And, and certainly uh, orient yourself in such a way that you're doing that on a regular basis. But we have allowed... Um, corporatism to overrun the, the, the working class, the youth in this country. And we've allowed higher education to do the same. They're crippled, crippled with debt. And they work for people that don't give a shit about them. Right. So it, it's, it's like office space. Like i work a little bit harder and finish a few more reports. I don't see any extra money. What's the purpose in this? You know what I mean? And I think uh, these people who are turning to post-modernism and Marxism, that's, that's where that's where uh I I feel like you're 100% correct. Like there is a it, it is a symptom of something. And our solution can't be just to call them assholes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I that mean, doesn't do anything.
1: Yeah. yeah, let me say two things quickly. The first is you know, we had pretty big movement Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of years here and you know it's no doubt true to point out some, you know, problematical aspects of, of, uh, of that from the point of view of, you know, did it move the needle? Mm. You know, was it a neo-Marxist uh, uh, stitch up? Um, but you know what? I think you know the, the right has all kinds of critiques of that, which uh, many of which are, are I, I suppose, uh, is valid. But uh, you know what? You know what? You 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 can't deny that many people who were moved by that movement were simply perceiving injustice. Mm. They were looking and saying, well, why is it that these inner cities are so dysfunctional? Mm. Why is it that so many children are being uh, killed in gang violence in inner city Chicago and elsewhere? Why is it that there are these persistent um, uh, 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 unfairnesses with respect to access? And you know of course one has to ask those questions and really get answers to them and the answers may not be at all the ones that are be- that are on offer mm. but what i'm trying to say is that
2: is that you know if you're
1: not presenting to young people a really richly dynamic account of the ideals of justice mm-hmm. well then how dare you when someone comes along Seeming to do that, think that they are the problem rather than your own failure to have done so in any remotely adequate way uh, already. Right. And so I suppose that, that's the uh, the first thing that I would uh, would would say there. And um,
2: and the second thing I want to
1: say is really uh, picking up on what you said about uh, comfort. Mm. Of course, there was enormous. Uh, sacrifice for the, the comforts we enjoy and technological progress and so on. But I, I don't think, and I doubt that you think that the point of human life is comfort.
0: You, no, that's, that's okay. ridiculous. Comfort is cancer. I mean, it, at any point in your life, we're, we're sharks as, as much as we don't want to admit it. If we don't cont- if if, uh, oh God, I, I mean, if, if, Joel Osteen got hit by lightning every day for the rest of his life. It would be, wouldn't be punishment enough for how big a piece of shit he is, in my opinion. Uh, but the purpose-driven life uh, as a concept is, a, is 100% accurate. Like people, uh, as, as I mentioned before, that life trajectory had purpose intrinsically built into it. And it worked for a very long time, right? It worked for a very long time. Um, but it worked primarily when... Uh, half of the population, which is to say, females, didn't really have an, uh, any other tenable options for the most part. Most of the like women in the workforce is a relatively new thing, even in the West, uh, and it's a it's a thing that's still absent in a lot of cultures. But even in the West, it's relatively new. So, uh, yes,
1: though I think one, while one wants to celebrate and insist upon the gains of equality of mm-hmm. of opportunity, that's just a fundamental principle. Uh, One absolutely needs to be very careful to not reverse read into history as if people who were denied that had no meaning in their lives. Correct, yeah, yeah. Um, certainly. And and because that is, there is, there is a rampant nihilism that still wants to define that unless you are, you know, an economic unit in certain reducible ways uh, for for GDP or productivity, then your life doesn't have meaning. And that is, of course, a profoundly nihilistic and and, uh, perverse standpoint. But what I want to really say though, about this whole question of of meaning and comfort is that, you know, meaning isn't in the comfort, as you know, Mm. meaning is in, is at some level in the struggle and, you know, meaning, meaning is in, is derived from finding yourself. You you put it in the terms of outside of yourself. I think that's quite helpful the way you Mm. put that earlier, because, because even really difficult and menial forms of labor, can become meaningful for people if what they are putting that labor towards is a transcendent goal mm. or good caring for their family or their, their children their 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 spouse uh supporting their community uh i mean the the point is is that without that that transcendent frame of reference we don't have meaning and by transcendent i mean like outside of yourself mm-hmm. you regard this as real independent of yourself right like it's not something you simply created it's something you are participating in mm-hmm. that would exist even if you weren't there and that's why it, it because if you know people often underestimate the degree to which the meaning is not something you create it's something you discover you participate in discovering it, but you don't simply speak and create it. If that were so, there would be no meaning crisis. You just go off and like make a bunch of meaning one weekend and you have enough for like the next six months or whatever. That's not how it works. You you have to do the hard work of finding it and living up to it in your life. And, and, and that, that, that finding of yourself and the thing outside of yourself. I mean, it's very interesting the way that that our prospective students and, you know, audience and supporters and others come to us, you know, it's very, very interesting. They're not speaking the language of partisan politics. They're not saying, oh, you got to own the libs, you got to stick it to these idiot right-wingers or whatever. They're already speaking the language of truth and beauty and justice. They They want to give their lives to higher things, and they know that's the only place they themselves can be realized. And so I think in a way, we're ready for a kind of Revolution or Renaissance of the discovery of where the meaning really lies, and that is what Ralston College is about in the deepest sense.
0: I mean, it's—I ask rhetorically before if we would ever get so comfortable uh, that we would stop teaching kids to read and write and and do math, but we uh, we've, we've gotten—I don't suppose it's really a symptom of comfort, but we've reached this point in, in the West where it feels like motherhood is almost looked down upon as if it's um as if somebody's being relegated to that you know what i mean it when i mean i, I if you think about intrinsic purpose in, in human life what could be more important than that than creating new life you know what i mean like sustaining it, our, our our biological imperative is to spread our genes as much as possible and not that we should just uh uh, cave to any whatever biological urge we have obviously but man i can't think of anything more important to society than producing quality children you know what i mean it's like it's it's the story of the of the three pigs uh that don't know only one of them knows how to build the one that knew that built a, a, a proper foundation for itself is the one that survives, right? I mean, and, and we're, we're talking about our survival as people, essentially, or uh, rather, eventually, we're all going to become old and infirm, uh, those of us who are lucky enough to, to grow old, and somebody's going to take care of us, or we're just going to, you know, go full Viking style and jump off a cliff somewhere when we become useless to society. I mean, those are our options. And the other part of that is that if we are indeed concerned with our society... What are we doing to, to build it for the future? You know what I mean? And, and, and I can't imagine that being critical of people who uh, feel very strongly about motherhood and, and, and things like that, I, that can't be a good thing for us. It seems very nihilistic.
1: Well, there can't possibly be a more important role in any culture than the cultivation of the young, mm. because they're the the ones on whom the whole future depends. And if you if you F them up, you know, you you aren't going to have you're not going to have a future. And so I would wholeheartedly agree with your assessment of the importance of mothers. But I would even say it's it's. It's true, of course, that there's a genetic, biological drive you know, to, of human beings to reproduce, as all as there is in all uh, species. Uh, uh, but it's very interesting how much sacrifice is involved in being a good parent, and the only way we really have to understand that as human beings is 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 through moral language. Uh, uh, a metaphysical language. I mean, there's no way that we find adequate to describe what a, a, an amazing mother or father does for her or his children. Well, we're that seeing can simply be reduced to say, Oh, it's just their genes. It's like, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's sure. not how we understand things. Yeah. Uh, but, two uh, two, two, two other things, just quickly jump in here to, mm-hmm. to, to say the first is that you talk about, you know, uh, comfort. And you know, are we going to teach people to read and write? I mean, there is a profound sense in which we're not, teaching people the very most basic fundamentals of uh, not only our culture, but of the means by which they can navigate the the world. That's what Mm. culture really is, right? I mean, who gives a damn about culture in the abstract? It's really about the realization of the lives of the individuals who live in it. Mm. And I think it is to a large degree our wealth that allows us to pretend that these things are not fundamental. Um, So, you know, if you haven't seen cultures without protections of freedom of speech and inquiry when you're living in one in which freedom of speech and inquiry and other fundamental uh rights made wealthy and prosperous you might say well why do we really need this but you're just you the the fact is you're just profoundly wrong Mm. i mean you don't understand how your own culture was created I mean, it's it's like the uh, the person who built the business and who understands the value proposition. You know, trying to explain to people who are betraying that value proposition in the second generation, saying, "No, no, no, you don't understand. This isn't this this is this is how we built this company was by providing this thing of remarkable quality that people wanted to buy," and that's not a bad analogy, I think, uh, for for what we're doing. I I sometimes like to tell a story in 1984, my parents moved from Alberta to Prince Edward Island, Canada and bought a fixer upper old farmhouse. And there'd been a porch, a modern porch added. And uh, my dad wanted to, to, to uh, bang out the wall, the old exterior wall that was separating it in the, porch and open it up into a sunroom anyway he's a big strapping guy six five you know whatever 30 years old at the time and he took out his sledgehammer and he it was mother's day i remember 1984 took out his sledgehammer and just started you know banging on this wall and you know shingles and and uh and 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 wood and 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 uh everything going every which way uh this wall was just coming down fast mm. and uh he's a he's a big strong guy and he uh he then uh anyway there was a there was a pillar. In the middle of the wall and he just started wailing on this pillar and uh as it started to come out from the the, the ceiling the the roof began to, to sag mm. and you know, of course he 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 stopped immediately and called a contractor the next week and they had a, a a steel beam and uh post put in but the 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 point of the analogy is if you don't know what the supporting structures are you might just accidentally knock the whole house down mm. And I do think that's what we're facing right now.
0: Sure, I mean that's uh, with, and I, I. It seems like maybe not the the root, but an accelerant to the problem is the fact that we're not having conversations in good faith about this. One example is the motherhood issue. So, <clears throat> if you ask a, a center right conservative person about this, they will detail the the importance of motherhood and and. Things like that, um, but if, if we're gonna if we're gonna say that right uh, and make that part of our ethos, then we all and, and we're all simultaneously going to accept the reality that women are in the workplace to stay, and we need them to be actually uh, in a lot of scenarios. Uh, what solutions are we developing for the fallout? There's always a cost, right? Anytime we change something where somebody where the division of labor changes or people have new responsibilities uh th- this is this this is the problem we something some things get left behind and it's we've not addressed it in a number of scenarios in recent uh particularly in the, in the US i mean we we have it. we have a, we like childcare issues childcare is is extremely expensive uh and it prices a lot of mothers out of the, of the, the uh, job force, right? That's, that's a problem. Uh, we've done it with... <clears throat> what we know about uh, crime is that, that poverty is not the number one predictor. It's, it's uh, fatherless homes, right? Or, or some kind of tumult at home. We had these huge crime issues in the 80s and 90s, uh, largely because of uh, gang violence and the crack ep- epidemic. And we put a lot of people in prison for it. Now, I'm not debating the merits of that. People commit crimes. They have to be punished for it. But what did we do to deal with this absence of fatherhood in the homes? We didn't do a goddamn thing about it, right? So it seems like no matter which side you're coming from, uh, somebody will, they, they just chant their talking point over and over. This is, this is reality. I don't care what you're saying. Uh, but fundamental to identifying a problem is the responsibility afterwards to solve the problem like no i don't give a fuck about people who identify problems all the time that doesn't interest me at all that person is a rabble rouser i want to hear solutions you know what i mean
1: absolutely and i think there's a big question about being honest about that you know uh, getting a getting a bunch of follows on Social media, or a bunch of clicks, or retweets, or whatever the case is, that ain't doing nothing. Hmm. Sorry, I mean that's that's that's. You know, I I spent years of my life working in an inner city in, environment, and uh, you know, the real question is what makes a, a difference in the life of these individuals. And I'm not pretending to have the answer to that, but surely we can we can agree that that it's better for for children to have fathers at home who love and care for them than not. I mean the data yep. on this is just absolutely clear and any any person with a modicum of sense knows that mm-hmm. is true. And almost every single person would acknowledge in their own lives their fathers as either for that very reason positive or negative roles in their lives. And so that what I'm suggesting here is that we need it's a big, pro- frankly, it's a big problem that that pertains to the internet and to the way in which people live increasingly amounts of their lives, you know, online as if that's the real world. And in some sense, you say, well, it is the real world because I you know I have, I have, you know, connections to other human beings, and you know, uh, it, it's part of my social profile, and you know, whatever people may say, I, I get all that. But there's another sense in which it's a profoundly abstract, you know, virtual reality. That's not the real world where you actually live, like in relation to the people. I mean, I'd like to know people who are concerned, for example, in the I mean, and this is a, I ask myself this question. This is not a criticism. It's just to point out the problem. People who were in favor of of any recent activist movement, mm. you know, let's take the problem of uh, Black Lives Matter and the, and let's say the problem of, of, of inner cities, mm-hmm. Well, you know, how many of us said, "All right, you know literacy rates are low amongst uh, African American communities in my city. How can I get involved in in uh, literacy education? I hear there's this there are problems about uh, uh, about uh, malnourishment or education or extracurricular activities or there's not enough policing or there are these problems. That, of, whatever the case of the matter is, I'm not judging anyone's community. What I'm saying is you can't both say you care about a problem and not do what actually lies in your power. Mm. I mean, very few citizens of this country would not have access within five miles of their house a meaningful org- nonprofit organization a nonprofit organization in which they could do meaningful work on any given social problem. And if you're not doing that, I think, you know, sorry, shut up.
0: Mm, yeah. Shut I mean, up.
1: I mean, you know, or get involved, get involved in some way that is adequate to the problem you say you care about. And of course this is true for all of us all the time. We've got to be intellectually honest. I mean, you know, you know, this is why, you know, our family lives, our personal lives are the test case for our own our own moral lives. Because we, it's one thing to espouse, for me to espouse in whatever position I'm in in this world, oh, I believe in this, I believe in that. Uh, but, you know, do I live that out with my wife, with my friends and family? And, and if not, well, I've got some serious self-reflection and maybe repentance to do. And I certainly shouldn't be taking stands publicly in social media that I'm not willing to substantiate with my own action. And so I think a big part of this problem has to do with incentive structures of social media, but also the whole virtual world being treated as if it's real when in fact the reality is staring at us right in the face and that's where we should goddamn well be spending our time.
0: All right, give me just a minute. Uh we're going to do some ads and then we'll get back to the show. Right now Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, you're gonna get thirty percent off. Use the code Drinking Bros at GhostBed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. You can get a mattress for about twenty five, thirty five bucks a month, depending on what you select. Uh, they got a zero down, zero percent financing plan for up to sixty months, um, and that does work with the thirty and forty percent off deals. So, uh, go to GhostBed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. Get the deals. They get the best sheets and mattresses. Um, pillows are my favorite. As you know, I travel with my ghost pillow because I'm. Uh, I don't know. My I I feel like my posture sucks and my neck is always uh, uh fucking with me. So I try to take that thing everywhere I go. They also happen to have uh the best sheets. They have mattress protector. They've got this uh, new weighted blanket. I don't know if you've tried it yet, but it is dope. Um, keep your eye out for that dog bed too. Now the forty percent off deal. If you get a mattress and an adjustable base which is a pretty big spend. Uh, and then anything else you add to that, you're going to get 40% off that entire order. Uh, so that's, that's our preferred order there because obviously you're getting the best deal. Um, for everything else, once again, go to ghostbed.com forward slash it bros and get those deals. Uh, next up is hard AF seltzer. Uh, we just had to order more because you drunk bastards bought all of it. Um, which is good. Not complaining about that. We appreciate your support. Uh, it's twenty four packs, man. It's a whole case, a whole case of eight percent seltzer. Um, get it for yourself. You can find on the website hardafseltzer.com. dot uh, com. You know, look, man. It's summertime. If you're out on the boat, you're at barbecues and stuff like that. People are going to show up with this weak ass four or five percent stuff. Um, don't have any of it. Let them know that you are a degenerate and uh, buy that booze. Um, next, finally, uh, the Drinking Bros store. We got a bunch of new products in there. We got stuff. I know you guys are into following politics and you also like to you know do fun things. Um, we've got some defund politicians, yard signs and flags. Um, got all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, some new merch. We got a stuff for Father's Day on the site as well. So if you're looking for Father's Day gifts, go to DrinkingBros.com and check out all that stuff. All right, let's get back to the show. Certainly, I mean it's. uh, Well, there's some institutional problems with that as well. Uh, One of which is that the U.S. has monetized charity, which seems kind of fucked up, to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, if if you look at the the tax law surrounding 501c3s and and similar uh, uh, offset organizations they spend a comically low amount of the money they take in on actual services for the intended charity, right? And it's uh, like ones that are healthy are ones that spend 20% or more. Not most, but 20% or more. That's a pretty healthy charity. Uh, uh, I think the legal requirement is that you spend 2%. Um, The rest is spent on administrative uh costs uh and uh additional fundraisers to make more money. Um that seems like a problem in itself, but I I to to your other point. I th- I feel like um if you see a piece of trash, pick it up. You know what I mean? This is like basic boy scout shit. There's a reason we were teaching kids this. Uh forget about the politics around the boy scouts. Well, that's not the discussion here. Teaching young kids responsibility that if they see a problem, it's it's on them to at least attempt to fix it is one of the most important things you will ever teach a child uh uh pretty much any time, and it's it's a problem that persists throughout society as well throughout our history and through any history we could ever have because anytime you solve a problem you've probably either created or exposed a new problem one of the two um it's very nihilistic to think that because that is the reality we should stop solving problems or throw our hands up and say we're not going to do this anymore. Instead, we need to realize that the role of conscious members of society is to continuously solve problems as they arise. Like that is part, that should be part of your identity, right? It, yes, it's yes. One of the most important yes. things.
1: Yes. And above all, at the local level where you can actually mm. do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can, if you want to give your if you've got money to give away, you know, find, do some work, get online and find out whatever your, 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 the problem you're most concerned about is. I mean, that's, that's, your own spiritual moral life, your conscience speaking to you. Well, listen to it. Mm. Go find an entity, a nonprofit, a group of people, whatever, who are doing something on that locally and give them your money and or even better, your time, if they can find a useful use for you. And the chances that there will not be something are low. And if there isn't something, well, start something. But start something that involves real people. You taking your most precious commodity, which is your time, your insight, you know, your life, and giving it to those you uh, for whom you are concerned.
0: Sure, yeah, I I always say the same thing. I mean, it's it's solve problems at the lowest possible level. That that's a, the lesson for. I, I think that is the lesson, the, the most important lesson uh, that humanity ever learned, and and continues to learn. Each individual generation is that um, solving problems at the lowest possible level is the most important thing we can do in that way uh for conservatives that uh they conservatives and libertarians have this pretty strong tendency to want to be left alone and to leave others alone Um, but in the same way that the postmodernists want to skate on the comfort of those who come before them uh uh you as someone who believes in that as part of your ethos and identity i understand that you want to spend your time not taking orders from someone or not giving orders to anyone I, I i feel the same way but there is a level of contribution you must make for that to persist um well well no one no
1: one's no one's saying that you should be coerced into this right. mean, this is all in the level of voluntary action i mean that kind of reciprocal voluntary action is what a community is you know um Freedom of movement in the country. If you don't want to live where you're living, you can move and move, live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, the, but, the, but the point of the matter is that it's actually the opposite is that there is no thriving community without that free, that voluntary reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a one major problem we have right now is that right and left seem to be largely agreed that the federal government is the, is the answer to most of our problems. And I'm not. Uh, for a second suggesting we don't need a federal government, but the notion that somehow the federal government can possibly be an instrument remotely specific enough to this time and place in my community right now is absurd. Mm. It reminds me a bit, when I grew up, uh, when I was a kid, there was a a story I used to read to my younger siblings, I think it was called, Are You My Mother? And as little bird falls out of the nest, you may know what I'm talking about, falls out of the nest in each, each page of the story. It's a great little book. Uh, the bird is going around finding these things that are not its mother, you know, a big uh, tractor trailer, a gorilla, uh, you know, a big uh, bulldozer or whatever saying, are you my mother? And, you know, I really feel that, you know, today many individuals are looking to the federal government and say, are you my mother? It's like, well, you know, you're right to think you need a mother you're right to think you need a place in this universe but precisely the thing you're looking for is an individual human relationship that could never be outsourced mm. to any government or entity because what you're longing for is precisely a rich and reciprocal and knowing human relationship and that can't be gotten any other way
0: no the looking to the federal government or any large institution at all for solutions to lower level problems is like uh, it's like trying to uh change the channel on your t v remote with a hammer you know what i mean like it 's not the right tool for that and it's uh the wrongness of the tool is shown in uh uh an inaccuracy and an overwhelming force that is completely unnecessary and is actually harmful for every like it's harmful for the federal government as well as much as they don 't seem to realize it i the, the one thing that um, I always think about in this particular scenario is hunger. Like we can't figure, we're the richest country ever. We can't figure out how to feed people, right? Well, that's kind of reductive, certainly. But <clears throat> from the perspective of the individual, uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to rely on large government forces to do that for us, to solve that problem for us? Or are we going to take advantage of what you're talking about, these opportunities that arise in life? Like I can't stop hunger, but I can stop that motherfucker's hunger right now. That dude right over there, I can go stop his hunger right now. There's nothing stopping me from doing that. I can do it right now. And I can ask him why he got there in the first place. There's a lot of stuff that can happen at that lower level. Conversations that cannot happen when it's the, when it's some government drone in a, in a federal facility somewhere, right? Like that, that can't happen. And it's... It's the village mentality, right i I'm not sure I believe that uh the adage that uh, uh it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, I'm not sure about that I mean certainly kids learn a lot of different stuff from a lot of different sources, but um it takes a uh it takes the full effort of the village to maintain the village that I do believe,
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's very well said. I think that's very, very well said, and I think we do well to remember that human beings live in time and place mm. and that the the that's our whole lives right like in the time in which we are and in the place in which we are and you can't be living in a different time than you're living and you can't be living in a different place than you actually are mm. and that is a truism but i don't i don't think the the depth of that is I think the depth of that is easily disregarded in a, in an age of abstraction and and uh, internet focused activity and so on. What it means is that almost anything you will do of importance and all uh, almost all of the relationships that will define your life will be in your here and now. Mm-hmm. And you know it's no no secret that we're living in this just ab- absolutely kind of ca- catastrophic irony of of of, a, of an epidemic of loneliness. And yet people sitting at tables on their phones with the very people they wish to connect with on the other side of the table doing the same thing. Mm. And I think, I think frankly, we, we need to face up to those problems with all the honesty we can muster and have the courage and independence to say, no, I'm not going not gonna to live that way.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a really big problem to me that we're prioritizing… Two things, victimhood and experiential avoidance. I don't think either one of those things are very good for the human condition. Um, uh, as, I, as I like to say, the weight doesn't get lighter, you get stronger, right? That, that's how everything works mechanically and psychologically in the universe, so far as I'm aware. Um, uh, the, what you're talking about, the, this, and we've all experienced this probably recently, sitting in a room with somebody and you're on your phone right? Instead of talking to the person that you've chosen to spend your time with, right? Which is your most valuable resource. Uh, I, I assume for these people that have, that that are doing it pathologically because they don't feel like they have the alternative. They don't feel like they can connect with that other person. Uh, the next logical choice probably is something like the metaverse where you're now completely experientially avoiding life uh, and and having the reward of these uh, interesting experiences or pleasurable experiences without any of the work required to have gotten there. Uh, the same could be said for fame and, and the way it's de- uh, defined these days as well. How do you how do you refocus uh, uh, parents and children to value the struggle? Right. I mean it's it seems like a lot to ask of people who are struggling already people who are dealing with a fucked up economy or culture wars and all this other stuff it seems it, the, the human tendency is to uh uh recoil retreat to your corner with the people who think like you and then fight against the other side that's the, the but that's that cannot be the right solution you're
1: asking a of- very good question i think and i don't want to seem as though i think i have easy answers because i don't and i don't think there are easy answers what i would say is that i don't think you ever have to go out and kind of find a bunch of suffering or hardship in life Mm. particularly i think it's it's going to find you Mm. um though that said there are times that you go out in search of an adventure, or or you take on something you know is going to be hard, but you know it's right too. Uh, but when you talk about people who are already living, you know, difficult lives, and you know, life is difficult. Mm. There is no one who's ex- ever exempt from the, the difficulty or the finitude of human life. That is a universal human condition. I think what matters is helping each other make sense of it and giving each other ways of understanding ourselves that redeem the difficulty and suffering in our lives and help us to confront it and to alleviate it by understanding it. And I mean, it makes all the difference in the world if you're working in a difficult job to support your family, but you understand that as a transcendent, as I said earlier, as a transcendent good but if you know you if 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 everyone tells you you know you're worthless uh, because of your 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 sex or race or whatever. Uh, and that, you know, you're, you're, you're ex- being exploited by the by the by the capitalist, you know, uh, 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 brutalizing you and that none of this matters and that you're you're not only a victim, but you're 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 a you're a pawn in someone else's game. And by the way, all of these things that you were celebrating as your 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 own dignity, you know, your care for your family and your your loyalty and your 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 parenting and your kids, you know, all of those virtues that you thought you could celebrate. That's a sham, too, because. Those are just mechanisms of a will to power. You've just been exploited in believing those things. And I think that is as perverse an idea as you can ever force upon another human being Mm. because it cuts right to the core of their own self-understanding and it undermines the entire mechanism by which we discover ourselves in the world around us. And so what I'm suggesting is that we need to recover the forms of life and culture through which we make sense of our lives and live them as meaningful. And that's both a a crisis on the one hand that we should need to do that. It's by, by no means obvious that we will be able to rise to that challenge. Mm -hmm. It may be too late. It may be that
2: it's too little too
1: late, but it is also a reason amidst that for optimism, because as the, as the hunger grows more acute, so too is that an index of the possibility of rebirth mm. and renewal and refocused will on what really matters. And so I think actually we should take heart that there's a growing awareness and desire to
0: confront these very Problems. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's. Uh, I feel like we've tolerated and uh, uh, even encouraged this idea that whatever tragedies befall us in life are somebody else's fault, and we have no power to overcome them. And I think that is about the most fucked up thing you can tell somebody. I mean, if if a child came to you and asked for help, and you said, "I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you, kid." What what kind of person would that make you? You know what I mean. I, I don't think any like no no normal reasonable person would would even respond that way. But we respond that way to the entirety of our youth now. That that's our general response to these kids. Yes
1: and yes and, and let me make, you know I, one of my t- my uh, besetting uh, problems is putting things too abstractly. Let me try and make this as concrete as possible. You know, I talked about how individuals live in a real time and place. Mm. Well, you know our culture has been very profoundly deconstructed. If you know anything about history of life, even 50, 70, 80, 150 years ago, it's a, it's a, it's an unrecognizably different place. And so, you know, we've got to say, well, where, where are human beings going to find their meaning? If, if their if their families are, 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 deconstructed, if their schools are providing crap, if their communities are dis are, are alienated and disjunct dis disjointed, if the, the, the architecture of the place they live is ugly. Well, what's, Chance are you giving people? Yeah. And so when I talk about rebuilding, I'm not being abstract. I mean, give every child in your community a really meaningful education. Give them the poetry that will allow them to comfort someone when he or she is dying or when he or she is themselves facing hardship. Give them the ability to read and write at a high level. Give them understanding of their own history. Teach them about their families, their culture, their communities. Build beautiful buildings that allow people to be proud of their of their own their own homes and communities and to understand themselves on the register of that beauty, give provide forms of mythological and religious reflection that give people a sense of the transcendent arc mm. of their own meaning and journey and purpose in life. You know, if you do those things, we're going to really, really, we're going to be really getting somewhere.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh no surprise to me that, the victimhood culture and uh the nihilistic way in which we've approached talking to people about their identity in the in the world now like well you don't really matter anymore your vote doesn't matter uh your contribution to society doesn't matter all this stuff has has resulted in what it's resulted in in the millennial generation but the younger generations how it's manifested itself in this extreme random violence and suicidal tendencies Um, is it's worse than alarming. We saw another fucked up example of it here in Texas uh, yesterday. And I imagine that it's the same nihilism that uh, drove the the anti-social gang violence that's permeated our our culture since the late 80s is the same nihilism that is leading uh, uh, what are usually lower middle class kids who are doing mass shootings and shit like that or, or killing themselves. It's it's lower middle class kids that are most susceptible to suicide right now as well. Um, It's we've we've taught people that life is fucked up, and we've taught them as well. Well, well, I mean, there isn't a whole lot you can do about it. it's simply not. Not only is that not true, it's it's definitely not true because that's what the entirety of human existence has been: is overcoming that shit. Um, It's also. Incredibly dangerous to tell somebody that isn't intellectually sophisticated enough to mount a defense against it that's that that's and we're paying a price for it in our culture right now. we're losing our kids
1: Well, there's absolutely no question I agree with you about the nihilism that is at the root of many of our cultural uh, problems. Uh, I mean when you teach people there is nothing there is no truth but only power. That is a profoundly toxic corrosive view that 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 corrodes every aspect of our of our mm. culture from our education to our families to our poli- policy to our civic life to our relations to one another to how we think about ourselves to what we think we are as human beings. It is totally toxic um, uh, and uh, one does need to look very carefully uh, both at the individuals. Uh, who what is the individual stories behind these uh, these horrific things? there is always individual uh, the, the stories are always illuminating. Mm. Uh, but one also is to take a hard look at ourselves culturally, uh, you know the, the, the commandment, "Thou shalt not kill." Mm. is at the bedrock of any civilized human. Culture, and we must interpret killing, let alone in an elementary school, as a profound sign of our own dysfunction and failure to live up to our most fundamental ideals and indeed the conditions of any human society at all and any human being who fails at such a time to dig deep on that question and the multivariate causes behind such an event uh, uh or resort to a a simple uh analysis that pretends uh he or she has a grasp on the situation uh uh, i'd say is uh is failing that very ideal
0: yeah i agree with that yeah it, it's uh i'm I, I don't i i believe that uh the the point of the United States from its foundation was uh to promote individual liberty, and with that comes the sense that everybody's kind of responsible for their own actions uh and and I agree with that too but When it's kids doing fucked up shit like this, when it's primarily 15 to 19-year-old kids in inner cities murdering each other, when it's primarily 15 to 19-year-old kids walking into random public places and shooting the place up, I I feel like that should be a, 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 a much bigger red flag than if somebody in their 30s, 40s, or 50s did it, right? That's a person that's making choices that's maybe fucked up or something, but when it's children engaging in this kind of violence people who <clears throat> if you if you look at the crime paradigm uh crime and punishment paradigm people who feel hopeless commit more crimes than anybody else uh people who are nihilistic about the institutions of our society that's that's who generally commit crimes um uh and obviously murders the worst of those crimes
1: well i think we i think we know pretty clearly that the there are life stories and psychological uh, drivers mm-hmm. of uh, the resentment and rage that drives such uh, such mass killings, mm-hmm. and that there are also cultural conditions that pertain to the uh, the fame that one derives, the uh, the as it were the celebrity of these uh, crimes. And uh, indubitably of the the, the fact that a, a young person should think it a natural thing uh, to be able to go and a, obtain a, a deadly weapon. Mm. I mean, uh, this 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 surely is not a, a sign of a of a of a of a
0: sophisticated or advanced human civilization. What does it tell you that uh, a lot of young people, uh, a lot of these young people, whether it's this very extreme act or you know more simple acts of Rebellion, um, who who are prioritizing? Well, in this case, in the most extreme example, they're prioritizing fame posthumously. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like you, you, you did talk about how people experience life in the moment. That's true. Uh, anybody that's been depressed or in physical pain knows that it's always worse in the moment than it really was, right? Because that's how we experience life. Um, but people who are like how it, it, that, that's a level wanting fame posthumously is a level of uh, uh, avoidance that I'm not, I, I can't uh, conceptualize it. It doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm doubtful that that is uh, that that is ever, ever even close to the whole story. This is, this is not by the way, an area in which I pretend to be, intimately knowledgeable. Uh, but let me say this, that, uh, first, what a, uh, what unimaginable grief, mm. these parents and siblings and teachers and friends and family, uh, are, are facing and how wantonly needless, um, and eminently preventable such a, uh, Crime seems um, I think we can certainly say that uh that uh, people who are well adjusted and uh, uh finding themselves in the midst of uh, meaningful and hopeful lives uh, don't do such things
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, however one uh may wish to uh and, and for all I know it's possible to write such people off as uh you know a, a tiny minority of uh, of psychopaths. Um, Even if that were the case, one still has to have a culture that's able to handle psychopaths uh, Mm. uh, and uh, identify them and uh, keep them from doing harm. Uh, But I would say something further, uh, which is, I think, a darker and more fundamentally important thing to say. And that is that, you know, for everyone who does that, there are hundreds of thousands who are depressed and angry, seething with resentment. And we did that. We, you know, the one thing that, you know, adults in a society don't get to say, we don't get to do is to wash their hands of responsibility for the young. And we are clearly dealing with a meaning crisis of immense proportions. And it is a deadly mistake to think that that is just a matter of, oh, well, you know, I just feel a little better about myself or something that you could come somehow fucking trivialize. Mm. When in fact, there is no more important thing uh, on this planet uh, ever than that human beings be able to find themselves uh, to be living meaningful lives. And, we are we have radically betrayed the young and their possibility of doing that one thing they most seek and so what we need to do is to face that problem very very seriously and ask what can we do now mm-hmm. to to enable young people to live lives worthy of their own human nature. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Well, this has been a really good conversation. Uh, appreciate your time today. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can apply for uh, your new master's program in case anybody's interested.
1: You betcha that's a master's in the humanities. We're offering full scholarships to a, a group of uh, two dozen students for our first degree program. It's a master's in the humanities this 22-23 school year with study beginning in Samos, Greece, on the island of Samos for a two-month intensive language residency, followed by three eight-week terms here in beautiful Savannah. You can look up the details. That's the Ralston College Masters in Humanities at www.ralston.ac, where you can also follow our podcasts and online lectures and courses and so on. Uh, If you're looking to make uh, sense of things uh, in and through the inherited culture of philosophy, literature, music, and so on. We will do everything we can to give you what we've got. Thanks for your time today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming, man. We appreciate it. And we'll see you guys later.